0: And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast
1: with your host, Bob Patterson. Well, Meryl Meisler is back with us. Uh, we featured her two years ago now. God, it's been a while. And uh, she's done, I think since the last time I talked to her, she's done, I don't know, two books. She just came out with a the new book. If you don't know Meryl, she uh, did a lot of photography back in the uh, disco area era in the 70s and the 80s, which is a very interesting time, especially for us older folks who remember those days and uh, did that. She's also a, an art teacher. She was an art teacher in uh, Bushwick and in Brooklyn for many years. So she's retired from that, doing photography full time, doing all kinds of cool stuff, which we'll talk about. So, Merrill, welcome! Thanks again for uh, taking the time to be with us.
2: Thank you, Bob. It's good to see you again. Good to yeah. see you again.
1: Yeah, I get to see you at least yeah. electronically.
2: Yeah, next time Miami or anywhere. Miami, <laughs> yeah. somewhere.
1: I don't know. I might yeah, come in real here.
2: in real time.
1: Yeah, I want to. I got to get up your way. Still haven't. Of course, we've been locked up for for a while. <laughs> So, yeah, Meryl, so you came out with a new book, but uh I just wanted to, you know, ask you what I mean, what have you been up to? What's been going on the, the the last couple of years?
2: Well, okay. Well, I actually so just I just want to clarify. So I taught in the public schools for 31 years. 31. 14 of those were in Bushwick. Oh. Ah, okay. so it wasn't the la- the last. It wasn't it was near the beginning, but it wasn't the last last i taught there from 1981 till i went on sabbatical in 1994 and then i went on sabbatical and then i finished in another school um and i retired in 2010 and then for, for another five years i was an adjunct instructor at nyu supervising future art teachers so the funny thing really Bob, my biggest biggest unseen body of work is 36 years of an insider's view of the New York City schools, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and this new and in this new book um, that's coming out any moment, "New York Paradise Lost." Bushwick Era Disco is the first one to really include the inside insider's view of of a school. Yeah. But it's not just that; it's not just a school. But so, this is the first time I'm showing this work.
1: Yeah, so- I think it's interesting. I mean. Could somebody even do that today? The way schools are so locked down—not just COVID lockdown, but the you privacy know, issues and things.
2: You know, it's funny because other people have been writing about that too. In my last school, for the you know for the last fifteen years of my career at Institute for Collaborative Education, I did ask the I, I asked my principal, and we had we had um, a form that parents and guardians would sign to give permission to be photographed. And mm-hmm. if they didn't sign it, then I would not photograph them. I mean, it wasn't, m- mainly I was there teaching, you know, it was, but since but it's, it's something I do uh, and they got to know me, I, I asked about it. And so I was photographing at my last school for the last throughout it. And but I'm hearing when people in reaction to uh, the article that came out in New Yorker and people discussing say this could not even be done now. I'm wondering maybe I had a very special relationship being there. Also, when I was a student teacher, I'm um, supervising student teachers at private and public schools at, at through NYU. My I asked my supervisor at NYU. And the students, teachers, I would voluntarily take photographs of them teaching that hmm. so they could use for their portfolio. Because, you know why? Because you're a photographer, it's your passions, what you do. And it was so interesting. And in those cases as well, the schools had to sign waivers and every parent or guardian had to sign a waiver. Or I would say, would, would be told, do not photograph that child. And I listened to that. So I would think, well, was, that wasn't that long ago. That was in um to, you know, 2015 that ended. So I think it's, I think it's still happening, but I guess you'd have to have a real inside. You'd have to be part of the community to to do it. To, to a principle to say, or, or, sure. or a trusted, but I'm not sure.
1: You know, for those uh not familiar with New York like you are um can you tell us a little bit about bushwick what what's it all about, and what was it all all about, or what was it like back in the seventies and the eighties okay. or eighties and the nineties okay. i guess
2: yes, yeah, I was there in, in teaching yeah. in bushwick from eighty one until ninety four and when I first arrived, it was obviously physically a community that had been gone through a great trauma uh, there were many burnt out buildings and a lot of rubble everywhere really through throughout the whole time but I did start seeing there was change going on there was uh, without going through the big history of it it was it it was a neighborhood that you could tell when I saw the burnt out buildings you could say but these are like mansions you know or Mm -hmm. these are like these are expensive limestone buildings. Like, well, I, I became interested in the story. And and a, 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 a peak was in the summer of 77. There was a blackout in New York City. Mm-hmm. And, and Bushwick became, became known because there was like a famous call, the Bronx is burning, the Bronx is burning, but was rioting and looting happened during that night in Bushwick, but that was not the only time, you know, it it was led up to that moment. And then something else in a few, a few weeks later in July, there was, um, you know, there were a lot of abandoned buildings, factory buildings, and, and, and in general, a lot of abandoned buildings. And two kids were playing in a building and I guess doing kids stuff and maybe lighting firecrackers, but it, there were, it was an old knitting factory, and it, um, well, there were there were flammables in that building, and it mm-hmm. exploded. the The youngsters didn't were not did not perish. However, the fire was so out of control, and it spread for blocks, that it was called the all hands fire. They had to call in so many trucks from fire trucks from different. Fac- fac- Vicinities. It's actually the largest fire until nine eleven in wow. modern New York City history, and so that really was a, a a very rough period to say the least. And the school that I taught in was built on like at the edge of a block that you oversaw city blocks and city blocks of burnt out buildings. So, so it was a Not a high point, (laughs) Um, but during during that process, you you can start seeing people, people, and I've recorded you know individuals like cleaning up, and then taking down the rubble and cleaning up properties. And there was a lot of community, the the city worked and the government worked with community leaders to plan new housing that really went more with the Oh, even the physical structure of the area, because it was not a lot of high rises and things like that. And they they planned very smartly, because over the years you could see that. And actually, the right next to my school there was something that was built called Hope Gardens, and an affordable housing community. And it's and it was built like not you know not a gigantic high rise. It was small with parking and, and playgrounds, and it still looks really nice. No, but if you build build for build for human beings mm-hmm. to live like humans, you know it's, it's it's it it works, and and but to my surprise, when I came back in two thousand seven was when I started. I got a I got a phone call, an email from a stranger named Adam Schwartz, who was a a teacher in, currently in Bushwick, and and he he was, he's, you know, a lot of teachers would say, okay, he taught ESL, English as a second language, but his, really his passion was history. And he was, he too, like me, was fascinated by learning the stories about the neighborhood, researching it. And in fact, in my art curriculum, I made that part of my my curriculum with the kids learning about their neighborhood. Uh, But he, there was a chance for a, a community, there was a community gallery in the Brooklyn Historical Society, and he wanted to apply for an exhibit about the rise in Bushwick from '77 until 2007. And and he was because he loved hearing the stories from this a colleague of his, Mr. Napolillo, how really bad the neighborhood used to be, because you know it had already was improving dramatically, or and. And Adam could not find any pictures of Bushwick besides of the, of the blackout and fires, you know, and police pictures. Uh-huh. And so Napololo said, contact Miss Meisler. We were very formal. She was always taking pictures. <laughs> so he contacted me and that started, we applied for the, we looked through some, I said, oh, yeah, I've got boxes, marked Bushwick into my basement. I wrote, slide boxes, started looking through them, made a, scan some and we we got the show, and then I became obsessed with those photographs. After the show was over, it's like I said, God, you know, they're taken with a point and shoot camera. They're blurry. Some even had mold and dust on them because they were <laughs> in the basement. But I could see that they were beautiful, and so that, that piqued my interest, and, and I've been digging ever since. And this latest book, New York Paradise Lost: Bushwick Ever Disco, is like this. This is the the last hurrah. I feel like I've found the gems, and and they and they needed to be put in context. Yeah, but, I think Bushwick, you- but Bushwick itself has really, um, well, God knows, what was happening now. You know, it's became it's a hot area. You know, in a good way.
1: Yeah, that that's good. That's good. So I think it's um, what I find interesting is, you know, you you documented the club scene, and it's you know this glamorous thing that took place, you know, the affluent people, all these celebrities, you know, it all happened by night. And then the photo, you have photos during the day and burned out Bushwick in it. What brought you to to pull these bodies of work together
0: to contrast
1: <laughs> each other? How, how did you even come up with that? Uh,
2: okay, Bob, that's a real, you never know where inspiration will come. In two 2000- thousand. I, I started showing the work in in Bushwick itself because I always wanted to in 2012 through something called the Bushwick Open Studios with a place called the Living Gallery that just opened and that night at the opening some French guy shows up you know guy with a French accent and another one you're saying oh yeah you know, I, I came to see you I love your photographs I've just I just recently you know I haven't just moved to Bushwick I'm a filmmaker and I'm I, um, and I've been researching the neighborhood and i found your work and I want to get to know. It. And he said this with this French accent <laughs> and he said, Oh, it's great. And we just chit-chatted at the opening. That's it. Okay. A year later, I have another show with the living gallery and they had moved to a place off under the subway and heard about, there was a club that opened up called Bazaar, and recently and like, Oh, and I, with my my collaborator Vanessa Martier, who's a, a writer who found herself in one of my photographs, we collaborated collaborated on two shows. Her writing in my photographs said, "Let's go out for lunch." Like, which was really intriguing because when I taught in Bushwick, it was deemed so um, risky that we had to sign out to go out to lunch oh. or, or go out of the building. And there really was very few places to go and sit down. Very few. There were some, but very few. <clears throat> so we went to. This place, bizarre, because they heard they serve food. It was, they go in, and this guy who I recognize, you know, came to my show, he says, it's door, and he says, welcome. This is my place. This is my place. I'm like, wow, how cool. And his name is Jean-Stefan Sauvere. He's a fil- French filmmaker, and, and he opened this place, and they didn't have a liquor license yet. It was a, a drag and burlesque club, but they also serve food. And he said, come, come downstairs. Let me show you the basement. I painted, he painted the basement black. And he said, and I want this to be a gallery and show work like yours, you know, people like you. And he had some photographs up on the wall and they were stills from his, from his his movies that he made. He made photographic prints. I said, oh, great. You know, Interesting. How's it going? How's it going with, you, you know, showing your work here? He says, well, it's good. You know, the only trouble is, you know, it is a bar. Oh, I guess they must have had a liquor license. He said, it is a bar. Uh-huh. Nightclub. And sometimes people get drunk and take, take the work off the wall. I'm going, okay. We go upstairs. <laughs> it's like, that's interesting. I go upstairs and they're having lunch with Vanessa. And I, I said, oh, he, he wants me to have a show in, in the basement. And I, and, I'm, and I said, oh, my God. No, I've had shows, I've had work in museums and real galleries. And now uh, (laughs) someone who owns a drag burlesque bar in Bushwick wants me to show in his basement where people take things off the wall. And Vanessa, and I laughed, and Vanessa said, Don't be such a snob. (laughs) Like, oh, oh, okay. A few months later, uh, there's an announcement that he's having a, it might have been a book launch, an exhibit of someone else's work in the gallery. I you know, went to one other gallery beforehand. I go over there afterwards and the place is hopping. You know, people are dancing. They're having fun. It's, 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 it's places packed. I go into the restroom, you know, touch up my lipstick, look cute. And there's mirrors and, and graffiti on the walls. And I notice a disco ball spin above me in the restroom. <laughs> and then Wait, and there's a disco ball on the dance floor. This place is hopping, and and I had an epiphany. (laughs) I said, said my worlds collided. I mean, this is it. It's uh, on the night of the blackout of 1977, I was supposed to go to, I was headed to go to Studio 54 and going to a private party by one of the owners. It was the first time I was invited to a private party, and and the lights went out, and I was. And couldn't take the subway anywhere. There didn't seem to be any buses. So my friend Judy Juper and I, we got dressed up anyway and took our bicycles, my bicycles, down to Studio 54. And the door was closed, like, bam, bam. It wasn't open. The next morning, I, on the radio, you know, of course, there's no internet. And in the, in the news, heard of this neighborhood bushwork that had, um, you know, there was fires and looting through the night and for days to come. And I was like, gee, you know, never thought I'd had, you know, doesn't sound like someplace I'd want to go to. <laughs> and then a few years later, here I am. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, when you're a school teacher, I was working part-time, four days a week. I wanted a full-time job with benefits, health care, sick pay, pension. And I was on a waiting list for a full-time job. It came up and the full-time job I could accept, or if I don't, go for an interview and accept. But if I didn't accept it, I would actually be thrown off the waiting list. I would never get a full-time job. So I accepted the job. was in Bushwick. You know, so, so and here I am in 2013. And Bushwick is now like a, a hopping art scene, creative scene, and, and this is now the nightlife scene. And it, it just hit me, bam, like this. I have this nightlife work and it's work and they belong together because they belong together in my life journey as well. And I, and this would be the perfect place to show it. So I went up to John, you know, when the place is packed, I said, but you still, I said, Hey, how you doing? How's it, how's it going with, the with the downstairs gallery with people, you know, taking things. He says, oh, we figured out we bolt the work on the wall. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay. I said, are you still interested in showing my work? He said, yes, of course. It's history. I said, how about in June in, in the Bushwick Gopa Studios? And he says, absolutely. And then I come back a few weeks later to make sure that this is what, what he you know, he, you know it was busy and his business partner, Greg Bumbo, you, know, you, you, you know, did you, you know, we talked, is are you good with that? And he said, Yes, you know, you works. we love your work. It's important. And so it was settled that I would have a show there in June. And the Living Gallery was changing its format. Some, Bob, something about part of my personality is loyalty. It's actually very. It's actually a big part of my, my inner core. So the fact that living the Living Gallery, I would have done it again, but they would change their format and how they were uh, uh, more like becoming a, uh, an opportunity for people to read pop-up shows she couldn't make it they weren't going to be having long term exhibits and so I was like okay and then in my mind i'd even tell him i'm going to show this disco work here as well and then then in january of 2014 or was it, it was january or february in the middle of a, the worst snowstorm john stefan says come i want to talk to you So yeah, go go to bushwick i don't live in bushwick i've never lived in bushwick <laughs> i have i live in chelsea and through my teaching, different parts of Brooklyn and then back in Chelsea. And, um, and he sat me down and he goes, I want to make a book of your work. A book? I said, you mean a catalog? He says, no. And he takes a physical book of a photography book that he has. He says, no, a book. <laughs> I, and I'm like, you know, I'm, this is like January or, or maybe it was February. It's January or February. And we're talking about the show was in June. I said, and I'd been sending out proposals to, to have my book, uh, my Bushwick 80s work photographed. I'm, I'm thinking in my head, this guy's nuts. You can't do anything that fast. You know, he's also yeah. become a publisher, bizarre publisher. And I said, well, yes. However, I don't want to just show my Bushwick work here. I, I want to show when my disco work. It's a long story, but the work goes together. And he said, really? And I tried to give a little idea of it. And he I said, well, can I see it? The disco work? I said, well, I have to find it and scan it. I've never shown it to anyone. Oh. And I went to like a mad woman starting to scan work and, and making samples of what work would look like together I was more familiar with my book. I mean, I, I not at all. I had not looked at my Bushwick photograph, my Brooklyn, pho- excuse me, disco photographs at all. But I was familiar with, with looking through my Bushwick work, with w- ideas of what images I had. And I'd pick up my negative pages and say, boom, match, match. I did it so quickly and scanned and made samples. And he was working on a film he, down in South America at one point that I'm sending him samples of things go together. And he, and he says, I got it. He understood. And then we're throwing more samples and then he'd give his feedback, putting things together. And my, my, my life partner, spouse, Patricia O'Brien, she's a, a designer. She was a web, uh, a broadcast designer saying, like, okay, she'll design the book. You know, never did design the book. And, <laughs> and I figured, you know what? It's as much work preparing for a show as as what this make believe book that i really didn't think would happen it happened i mean it happened so quickly and it came out you know a tale of two cities bushwick Arrow disco and and my bizarre publishing i literally held back work because i didn't think this was going to happen i held back some of my strongest pieces that i knew about of the bushwick work i i, I thought it was I had no idea it would become a reality, but it did, and it and it it caught um, the. So I got to. It's a long story short. You never know where inspiration will come from. Mine came in a restroom of a drag burlesque house in, in Bushwick. Who'd have thought it?
1: Who'd have thought if you if you would have skipped it that night and stayed home and watched television?
2: Right, or if I did. Some- –
1: or might if, still
2: be doing that. Or finesse it and say, "Don't be such a snob," you know?
1: <laughs> That's right.
2: Yes. And <laughs>
0: God,'. The, the,
1: the, you know, last time we talked, um, it was like it was like two years ago, and you were just getting ready to go uh, be an artist in residence. It, it was the Saratoga Springs and then yeah. Sara. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you were pretty much cloistered away printing your work, right? That's what you did. You, you yes. spent that time in the dark room printing. And that must have been quite a, an experience in itself. But does some of that work now in, in this new book as a result uh, of what you did y- during y- those yes, yes. couple of months?
2: Yes. The, the, I've been my, my upcoming sh- 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 since while well, I was at... In- at Yato and Yado, in, Yado is in Saratoga Springs and then light work. I specifically I actually thought I was working on a different book. Believe it or not, different oh. book. And I also knew I was having some shows coming up. I was going to be in the Brooklyn Museum, Studio 54 night night magic show. And so he did, he selected some work that he wanted for the curator um selected some work that he wanted and I this is my first time to really focus printing how I always imagined this work would be. But then I became a full-time teacher. You think I had time to work in my darkroom? You know, you'd give it up a long time ago. And it got me back in the darkroom printing. And my upcoming show, which opens in two weeks at, at Clamp Art Gallery in Chelsea, all my black and white work is traditional gelatin silver darkroom prints. But more important, when you talk about this pandemic, or more important to me individually is they play. I became, you know, I kind of got back into the rhythm and re relearning. Not just at the, at residencies. I I took photo one hundred one classes again at Fashion Institute of Technology. I started going back into relearning about printing in the darkroom. I mean, I hadn't done it for a couple of decades, and and I I personally. Think the the images, the prints are n- incomparable. A traditional gel- a, a traditional darkroom gelatin silver print mm-hmm. realized by the artist as they intended mm-hmm. does not compare to the one that pops out of the, the printer to me on any in any way. Yeah, and so so here um, I had this upcoming show at Clampart. And I wanted to print the black and white work for there. But the, the dark rooms I was using, like the Center of Photography of Woodstock or taking a class at FIT, I mean, I kept on taking the same class. Uh, the, the dark room was all well closed. So what did I, my, my big pandemic project, besides keeping healthy, staying sane, working on this next book, is I cleared out space in the, in, in the basement up here in Woodstock. And I have a dark room now. And it's gorgeous it's like I can't believe it's mine it's just it's got got read books read books like uh how to you know how to build your dark room kind of, i didn't physically do it I made the plans i there's a a a contractor a handyman who who family friend who who did it but what's what's really cool his name is Mike mitchell is that he actually Worked in a darkroom printing t- pictures of his kids when they were younger, so he yeah. was into it as well. And and uh, there was like a I had friends like a, this woman Jan Nagel who has worked at Center of Photography in Woodstock and built many darkrooms for s- educational settings. Gave me advice, so I have a darkroom again, and I'm printing all my work in the darkroom, yeah, all I, the black and white
1: work. I saw so, the pictures you posted some on uh, Facebook. Oh, thank Where you your darkroom.
2: Yeah, yeah I, I, I really, I actually can't believe it. I was scared to go to go into it. No a, a anxiety, like when I was a scuba diver and I used to scuba dive. Yeah, me too. I, my, oh, yeah, you yeah, used to. But every time I'd want to go into the water, I was anxious to jump in, right? But then you're in and you love it. But then in a moment, it was kind mm-hmm. of the same way the dark rooms, and okay, I'll develop, the, like you feel like you don't do anything, take any pictures, but. Hey, I have twenty-two rolls of film to develop. You know, I photographed. I went to Cuba last was Like, I'll do the film first, and that's so how I've been printed. So I printed all the work for the upcoming shows there, and they're beautiful. Much better. I've gotten much better. No, they're actually gorgeous.
1: Uh, I'd love to see them.
2: Oh, I, I, yeah. Well, I will look forward to showing them to you. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're really, they're really. It's different, you know. Every everything is different. Showing things on. Online oh, yeah. is one experience, showing them in a book is another experience, experience in an exhibit on the wall. Is, it, it's, it's a different way of looking mm-hmm. and experiencing work.
1: Yeah. This way you have total control and it comes out the way, exactly the way you want it.
2: And, and, Nobody, and, and, you
1: can't blame anybody else.
2: No, and, and also the material, the the paper, the the silver-based paper, it's, it's rich. It has soul, it's yeah. spirit.
1: What paper did you use?
2: i the same I'm, I'm, same when I used always Ilford, mm-hmm. but now I've moved up to working with polycontrast filters. I didn't do that forty years ago, so I learned how to use filters <laughs> and split image. So multigrade fiber, Ilford uh it's glossy finish when it dries it's like a s you know like a pearly finish when it' dries flat. Anyone could hit me up. I'm very loyal. I use the same, <laughs> and I'm about to use Tri-X, 120, 400 film. You know, it's like, keep it simple. It's hard enough.
1: Were you shooting with medium format? I remember seeing you in Miami, and you were walking around with this camera that was almost as big as you.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: Wow. Yeah.
2: Well, in Miami, I was working around a, with a Pentax 6x7. Yeah. I have a two and a quarter. My original two and a quarter was something called a Norita Graflex, a single oh. lens reflex. Mm-hmm. And it, in the 90s, it kind of like developed severe arthritis. It wouldn't work in the cold. And then nobody would not. And I couldn't find anyone who could fix it. There was no longer anyone could fix it. I finally found some right, right before I went to um, two years ago, when I was going to when I was going to to those residencies mm-hmm. through a camera store in New York. He said he gave me the name of a Chrysler camera, this little mom and pop camera store, two blocks from my house. They could fix it. They fixed my Narita Graflex. And they and they fixed it again, and so I really love that because it's lighter, and I feel like it's see, and and I also love it because it has a split image, focusing mm-hmm. ring, so it's I can, I can really know that what I'm seeing is in focus. I feel like it sees how my eye sees, and it, when it jams up, they fix it. During the pandemic, they moved to Florida, but I contacted them and said you could ship it to us, you know. So I, and I have two of them now. It's it's a backup.
1: <laughs> I met a guy at our local. Um, we have a farmers market, and I go down there and shoot a lot. I'm in a small town, so there's not much to shoot. And then, so he he's walking around with this giant Graflex. It was beautiful. I mean, but- it looked brand new. And I said, "Where'd you get that?" And he goes, "I I found a place in New York that uh, that refurbishes them." Right,
2: right. it's a, it's amazing. So there's right.
1: there's somebody around you that that. Uh, still works on those things.
2: And I, and I, yeah, it's like, it's exciting, you know you feel empowered. You know what I know it's funny, Bob, I have trouble with a, I have when I, when during the, when the pandemic hit, like drove up to Woodstock, didn't think it was, it was going to stay here forever, and I'd left my cameras in, in New York, and so I got a, like a I'm trying to say some fuji point and shoot. Mm-hmm. Not, not bad. I have trouble with autofocus. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell I don't know why, but I have trouble with autofocus. I like I like to really know that what I'm seeing is yeah. gonna come out. So. but you know the best camera is the one you have on you, and so okay, so, I, right, I don't know, take take the other.
1: They're all good. They're all good yeah. in their own way. Yeah. Hey before we go, let me ask you this. I again, uh I saw you f- when I first saw you, it was in Miami. You were speaking at the uh, festival, and you made a comment. I wrote it down, and you said, "If I don't promote my own work, nobody else will." And then when I spoke there, I actually stole it and gave you credit Good. for that. But <laughs> but that's true, and and I mean, you you live that. Uh, so many people, you know, want to get their work out there and get it known, and I think you're like a textbook example of that. Um, you know, and you're not like pushy about it or anything you're just you know somebody i see you on facebook and instagram i just like know about what you're up to and what you're doing i don't know what's your secret do you have a a process okay. or a formula or you're just always aware of what to when,
2: do um, okay well one thing because i have been shot too shy all along in my life i've if if not now when mm-hmm. you know you know yeah. um, i I mean, hey, I was born in 1951. Do the math. You know, I'm going to be 70 years old. But also, and of course, I'm focusing full-time my art, being re- retired from teaching and now long, no longer working part-time teaching. Um, one, f- focusing on the books have been really important because it got me to put it in context. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Okay. I think there's many things. First of all, staying involved in photography even when you're not getting the good fortune, you know, some people are rising stars. I was not the rising star. You know, I always exhibited all along or a shooting star mm-hmm. being part of a, a, a community of other artists, photographers. I think it's very important. you know, like the street photography community is even if it's virtual There's a people encourage each other. I belong to a women's photography group It's like my Girl Scout troop since the eighties, professional women photographers. A member of that wrote the introduction to my book. Uh, you know, I've made some of my best friends. I think it's important to have friends who are encouraging, who understand they have similar passions and share information. Mm-hmm. If there are some people, and I've been, you know, I, like I said, I'm a Scorpio, but I've emerged, I've grown up. <laughs> it's better to share information to open doors for other people than to shut it and feel like, like you have to believe there's more room at the table. We could there's more yeah. chairs. So here we go. And, and I think being part of encouraging communities and having people in your life who encourage is more important. It's very important. And that you encourage them and, you know, share opportunities. Number two. You know, yes. Keep doing it. Number three. I had to like almost, Pretend it's not me. You know, when you're a teacher, you're always encouraging the kids. I look at my work like I'm discovering this person named Meryl Miser, mm. and and put myself to the side. And how would you talk to another person? You wouldn't put them down. You wouldn't say, why did you do it already? You'd like talk to your own work and yourself like you would want, you would encourage somebody else. And that's hard to do. I don't take it granted for easy. Um, when you're feeling stuck, uninspired, take a workshop, take a class. It could be in any in anything. It could be in cooking or a language. Just get out
0: there. Um, I've. I'm glad I didn't throw my work away. Yeah. <laughs> I also
2: having some sense and organization is not my big my big skill, but yet. I kept my work in some kind of order that I can find it. You know, it's it's in chronological order. Uh, on my negatives, I wrote the like the day in the sometimes a day, but at least a month in a year. The location, some key figures. It's almost like a diary. Some key things going on. Yeah, that's good. So and you know, I, I actually for working with digital imaging. I found it harder to find my work organized. So I took a light work class. You know, to yeah. take it. If, if if learning on through self-learning is not your way, take a class, make it easy. And so that's real. I think it's important to, 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 to somehow archive it, you know, keep it in something that you could find it later. Um, things. I, people have different theories about, you know, throw away the crap, this and that. It's like, Hey, the things I, th- if I said that I, this bushwork work wouldn't be out there. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know the nightlife work was important in in context um editing I mean I was very fortunate to to John Stefan Sovere when you liked and like got my work if you if you can find colleagues people that you feel comfortable it's a trusting thing to sh- to share work together and show it can be very, very helpful because editing is hard. Okay. So sometimes it takes, you know, people get it right away and it took me years to have perspective on it. Unfortunately I had people that I could go to and ask opinions. Working on this last book has been the the one coming up has been the longest process. And I've had relationship with some galleries and curators that I would show a dummy book too, back and forth, back and forth for feedback. That's important. But then you kind of have to say, the bottom line, whose book is it? You know, and so you have to make the final decisions.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Or, or if you're working with someone, um, necessity is some mother invention. The pandemic didn't just make me build a dark room. <laughs> bizarre, bizarre publishing. Yeah, bizarre. Did the, we did the first two books? together and we were planning and editing this next one. And the pandemic was very, the, the, the club opened, closed down like two years ago. And he's a filmmaker was having a hard time on the film industry said, you know, it was a hard, it was a hard saying. We realized you can't do this together. You know, he just can't, it's too much stress during this time. And I was like, I have, I have to make this book happen. And I did get, um, fortunately, did get a small grant from the Leonian Foundation, and another one to show apply for grants. <laughs> okay, I'm saying apply for grants. Yeah, apply, apply, apply. If you ever did. but when you apply, because no, it's not even just the the money. It's like it's forcing you to do something that you said you're going to do. Mm, so yeah. it kept
0: me. I got to do it. Uh, other advice. Be kind to yourself,
2: that's
0: a <Yeah>. tough one
2: <laughs> and, and, and patient and, uh, and and something that I'm gonna say to you, whoever you are out there, comparing yourself to others, and this is where I trip up, mm-hmm. like oh, this one's here, and this one's got a MacArthur and this's got a social comparing yourself to others. Is dangerous.
1: Yeah, it's a killer. And
2: negative is a killer. And I do it, and I fall into it, and it, it and you, it, it's, it, it doesn't go. It doesn't help. You know, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard. But you have to say, okay, all right. Think of it this way. I know people in my life who are, who have really. Got their work out there. Use them as a role model, not as a thing to beat yourself up with.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, good way to look and,
2: at it. Yeah. Maybe, it's not even and therapy. And, uh, but also, uh, yeah, and having role models is important. For example, I have a distant extended family relation, Ruth Gruber, who's now in heaven. She died at 100, 105. Wow. Journalist. She didn't have her first photography solo show till she was in her 80s. Wow. And then she ended up being ICP, you know, having a solo show at ICP and the Infinity Awards. Like, okay, stay healthy. (laughs) Your health and well-being comes first. Health, well-being, relationships come first. And and, um, some people, I'm one of those human beings who needed to have financial stability no you know i'm not i'm not mm. even as people say, "Oh, you must be just you know this wild person who went to clubs and you know risque it's like no, think of it this way i'm someone who became a school teacher, held on to that job for dear life to have some kind of security, <laughs> but while you're doing something, whatever it is your job is, bring your passion into it because then it makes it better mm. because then you're more you know in case of a teacher, you know i didn't teach classroom management was not my skill set." However, I, my passion came into my job, and then I ended up teaching photography and media with it. And the work I did with my students ended up in the Whitney Biennial, New Museum, you know, D. Art Foundation. You take – put your passion in, into your job somehow. Or if you're a person – if you're someone who doesn't need that, then that's fine with you. There's no right – there's no rights and wrongs. There's many paths and you'll carve your own path. Yeah. Ugh, live long enough.
1: <laughs>
2: Keep the faith, baby, or something. Just get just. And if you don't, eventually you will like your fingerprints, like your voice, you have your own style. It'll merge. It'll come through. Doesn't mean you know, it'll come through.
1: Yeah, like the old quote from uh, Mark Twain, be yourself, everybody else is taken.
2: Right. Okay, I'll suffer you. When I was a kid, one of the records I played again and again and again was Tubby the Tuba. Do you remember Tubby the Tuba? (laughs) Well, you don't. It was like this tuba who wanted to be a more gracious instrument like a piccolo or a flute or something beautiful and was very upset. And and another I th- I forget the elephant saying to it, you know, be yourself. You can't be anybody else. Be yourself, you can't be oh, you, just okay. really, you just can't you just can't be anybody else.
1: They oh. have to sing it to bring back the memory, so
2: yeah, yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. So why don't you tell us where people can come and see your work? It's gonna be okay. up for about a New York
2: yes. for a while, well,
1: yeah, and Woodstock and
2: okay. well, how to I get the book. A- Okay, the book, New York Paradise. This is not Paradise Lost. Bushwick Era Disco can be pre ordered from strandbooks.com.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, strand, S T R A N D B O O K S.com. It'll be on Amazon. It's, okay, those people trying to do a book. I don't have a distributor, so it's all word of mouth, okay? Okay. Strand Books it also through it'll be a, the Brooklyn Museum's going to be carrying it, and, and I'll, when, they, when they arrive, you know, I'll have them on MerrillMazzo.com and yes, Amazon. My, I, this is the first time in my life I'm going to have a trifecta. I currently have a solo show,, mm-hmm. through July. I have to look at the dates at Lightwork get, Lightwork, Light, the place where I had the, yeah. the residency. They have a beautiful gallery there, and they invited me to have a show, which is really beautiful. And there's a, a show, like a like a mini retrospective at, at, the, at the gallery up in Syracuse. But go to lightwork.com. If you're not a, me- join Lightwork. <laughs> if you, you know, join support them, they have a, something called a contact sheet, and you can order this beautiful 48 page plus cover. Um, Book of my work and others for like twelve dollars. Wow! It does, that doesn't and their duotones. It probably doesn't even pay for the cost of printing. It's a great place of printing. Um, so that show is up now, and you can send away for the catalog support, and that all that money goes to help support their programs. The show with Clampart open in New York City and Chelsea opens June third through like July like July 10th or something like that. And, and that's, in, so my gallery is clamp C L A M P A R T. But then a month, a month later opening July 3rd and going up through the early August will be a complimentary show, not the same work, complimentary work at the center of photography in Woodstock. So, so I'm going to have three solo shows going on at once. Man. I've never had that. It's really shocking. Yes,
1: and you're you're right in the middle, I guess.
2: Uh, something, <laughs> and supposedly in in October first European show at Berlin. Wow. Well, we'll see. So I guess I have been doing something in the cave.
1: You have. <laughs> You've got a lot uh, of things done. What an inspiration! Uh, something, let's, something. Let's get disgusting. another pandemic, so
2: yeah. we can yes. all do it. <laughs> no, 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 I don't no, mean no, that. no, no! Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know, you don't. Yeah, but but. But I will say, New York Paradise Lost Bushwick Ever Disco is my best book yet. It's the most out. There are pictures here that I didn't really, I gasped to look at them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> some of the nightlife ones when I went to to talk to some curators who are familiar with my work. You know, like I had to work at the New York Historical Society. Um, I went to Stephen, Ka- my, I used to be represented by Stephen Casher Gallery, but they closed but I still have a nice relationship with them. Um, when I'd show the work, I'd say, like, some of the work is really edgy. I said, I, I want your honest opinion. Is this photography or pornography? <laughs> I want it to be photography, <laughs> you know, and they had to be a strong image. And it's, a, yeah, so there's some darker things, more outrageous, and also sweeter, you know, sweeter as can be. And I say then also some, for some of them showing the inside of schools and it's it's a labor of love you know the cost it, I, I don't think it'll it'll just pay for the cost of the printing in the long run selling it but it's for me it's important to get it out there and, and it, seeing it in physical form is important okay advice to photographers or people like us who are obsessed besides finding like-minded persons I, I learned my lesson be open to exhibiting in unusual places. You never know who will walk through the door. You know, I've exhibited at uh, this, this place called the living gallery, which was a funky new opening alternative gallery space in Bushwick and Holland Carter, the, the, the review of the New York times showed up there. I thought it was a fake signature in the book and he did a <laughs> review. You know, uh, showing the basement of the bar of a bushwick—that's how the New Yorker found my work. So, well, someone who worked there must have been like you know hanging out there, and you don't know who. Even the first time I showed the um, at Soho Photo Gallery, which is a wonderful photo co-op, I highly re- there's certain organizations I want to recommend to people S- if you're. In the New York City vicinity and you want to, uh, Soho Photo Gallery is going to be 50 years old. I'm not, truthfully, I'm not a member because I'm a member of something, PWP, but I was invited to have a, to do a guest show there. Soho Photo is a wonderful, wonderful organization. And they have a really classy gallery setting and it's really great. Women photographers, professional women photographers. My my club. I think you know we've been going since 1975, and I don't think I'd still be in the game without that. I think I might have given up. Center of photography of Woodstock. You know, it's very recent. And three nonprofits that I highly recommend becoming a member of. So you're supporting, keeping them going, and there are opportunities to apply to be in exhibits. I got rejected. The Center of Photography of Woodstock, I've been, rejected. you know, they have new photos. I get rejected from shows. It's okay. <laughs> uh, but now they're giving me a solo. Um, Center of Photography at Woodstock, I've recently, in the last year, joined the Griffin Museum mm. and Lightwork. These, these, we have to keep these organizations going because they, and there are little membership dollars keep them happening because mm-hmm. they are keeping the art of photography in all its aspects alive. And, and vital supporting artists, and and you know as well as opportunities to, to learn from other people. And if you have the opportunity to show, whether it's um, you know in an alternative term space, a co-op gallery, treat every exhibit like it's a museum show. Give it that much dedication and strength, mm-hmm. and you know, printing it, labeling it, framing it. Doing the pre- yes, the press is very important. Writing is very, very difficult for me, more difficult than. Pro- but but I work on it and work on it and work on it. Yeah. Your press release is, is extremely important because if you can't get the story down right, no one else is. Um, as far as p- promotions, okay. Like with you, I'll tell you my secret. When somebody does, when you do meet someone and they do take the time tar- to write about you, when I have the next event or book. I like, like I contacted Bob Patterson and sent him my press pack and said, you, did. You, know, you consider, I mean, it's, you have a relationship. And, yeah. and also when you, okay. If someone takes the time to, to talk about or write about your work, put it out there and credit them as individuals as well. I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot that goes into what you're doing. And um, so we have to, Tell people what a great, how great Street Photography magazine is, and how great Bob Patterson's podcasts and interviews are. You have to and and, and his own work, which is <laughs> hard, hard to do. But you, you have to give people credit and put it out there, share it. As far as other self-emotion, I mean, I try to post on Instagram at least something every day. Wow and one thing one thing you know yeah. like one thing not not much more and i and i um i have issues with facebook because of their intellectual property so i only share articles i I'm just, i i i, sh- I share articles yeah. or some things but i don't i don't want to put work out there and have my yeah intellectual property t- made into an ad for someone's
1: yeah deodorant. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, I the, I think that's the most important thing. Look for the joy factor in, in it while you're doing it.
1: Well, it shows. You
2: know, we, uh, and don't take any. I don't. Don't take any any opportunity for granted. Don't even take freedom for granted. We saw how close we are. We were and are, and are, that in the United States, losing. Freedom of the press, freedom of creativity, freedom to speak your mind, freedom of everything. Exercise your rights, that to just vote in a little process of of freedom of expression is yeah. really and defend it and and keep breathing.
0: Keep
1: sleep, breathing, eat, yeah.
2: And eat, <laughs> <That's> sleep, and
1: <laughs> that's number one. Yeah, no, really, <laughs>
2: your, your health your health is most important. Yeah, yeah. health and and well-being is number one you want it to happen in your lifetime yeah well and you're conscious of it (laughs) good point yeah
1: oh meryl thank you uh
2: thank you Bob.
1: it's always fun to talk to you
2: i i look forward to seeing you again in person it'll happen we're getting there